All right, this one's a little different. We're going to talk to some friends of mine, known for a long time, that are uh, visually impaired and travel with guide dogs, and I want to talk about traveling with a guide dog. And, uh, you know, we're about trucking and transportation, transportation, and traveling with a guide dog is a whole new complex way of traveling, so here we go. Now, we lost the signal a couple of times, so... You know, bear with the conversation. I'd edit it a little bit to get it back on track. So, anyway, hope all is well. Me, Dallas, and Vicky. Keeping that hammer down all across the nation. Checking cities off his list. Sharing stories of the road right here on his station. You are listening to the Kingfish. Yes, you've tuned in to the Kingfish Radio Network. Mm. Expand your mind on the open road. With Kingfish, right here. <laughs> okay, here we, we are with Vicky. Drink. You caught us before we started drinking, so that's cool. Oh, I'm glad I got that recorded. Oh, that's oops. definitely going in. I'm sorry. Hey, well, keeping in theme with our with a recording of trans uh, transportation and transportation issues, today we're going to talk about traveling with a guide dog. You know, it's not about trucking, but we're going to talk about traveling with a guide dog. We're not going to talk about raising of a guide dog because we don't have enough time in the world to do that. But yeah, that's we're going a lot. To talk about, yeah, we're going to talk about the special issues of traveling with a guide dog, like going to the airport, going to the train, things like that. And so w- my big question is, what is the one thing that the biggest misconception people have? Is it the, you know, when they, when they see you traveling with a dog? I think... Really, that I don't know if it's a misconception, but what I have run into, and and I have not run into this anywhere near as much as a lot of folks. But you go, let's say we're flying, and the TSA, they don't know how to deal with you. And the the uh, Americans with Disabilities Act is is very clear on how we are to be treated. We do not have to take our dog's equipment off, which is different depending, you know, for a guide dog, it's a harness, leash, and collar. And I've had TSA agents say, you know, you have to take, you know, the dog's harness and leash off to where your dog is loose. And they're totally uneducated. I would say the biggest issue is lack of education on how to deal with it. I find it. I find Go ahead, Alice. I should say, I think consistency, you know, you go to airport and, you know, they'll handle things one way and then, you know, and we, we know how to handle our dogs. We know how to, we know that we learn that at our school. So, you know, but some people just, I think they've come a long way and it's better than it used to be. At least that's been my experience. But, um, yeah, it just it, sometimes there's a lack of consistency. Now, how, uh, how long of training do these dogs get before you take them? It depends on the school. Um, when you know, when their puppies are raised, uh, what is seeing eye? How long you would know more about seeing that? eye? The puppies are are put in the puppy raiser home from seven weeks to anywhere between fourteen to sixteen months, 
and then they go back to the school for training. And the puppy raisers do deal with travel in the sense mm -hmm. that there's a certain place that they are to lay in the car and they have to lay down. You know, let's face it, when you're traveling in a car, you're dealing with airbags. Mm -hmm. And the dogs are taught not to sit, um, especially, you know, if you use the front floor of a car. And some of these cars have a serious amount of space mm -hmm. in that front floor. Um, but the dog must lay down because if you get into a, you know, even, you know, a, not a real serious accident, mm -hmm. it could deploy the airbag and it, that will kill your dog. So the schools will teach, well, you know, the puppy raisers, the schools will teach the puppy raisers how to start that training of where the dogs are in a vehicle and we take bus rides with the puppies and again that's teaching them where to sit on a bus and they sit between your front feet so that you can keep them from you know when the bus stops the you tend to fall forward and when the bus starts up you tend to fall Alice and I have done that enough times on buses. Dog under the seat and dog <clears throat> in someone else's seat without all the sliding around. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Dogs, you know, can slide backwards. So you use your feet to keep them stationary as much as possible. But so the puppy raisers deal with that. And then when they go into training, the instructors um, incorporate travel preparedness. Like actually at the seeing eye, they have a couple of airline seats. Actually, aren't they, aren't they still in the exercise room, the airline seats? I think so, yeah. Um, so you can practice when you get on the plane, putting your dog down in front of you at your feet, on your feet usually. <laughs> and depending on the size of the dog, it might actually end up being on somebody else's feet as well. <laughs> but some of that's unavoidable. But well, is, uh, there, is, is there any differences between uh, uh, a bus, train, plane, or is it all just pretty much the same city buses have those sideways seats and a lot of times um well like if i don't if i now see things are a lot different now they actually announce the buses the buses the bus stops automatically but when alice and i back in the dark ages well what i'm thinking is you know let's say you you get to the airport and your your flight's delayed or whatever you know you're going to be in there for a long time you know is how, how much you know, is it like I got to make a run for the outside? Do the airports have a special place for you? Is it, I mean, because you have, you know, the dogs, they need, you know, they have to relieve themselves, take care of themselves. Is there, and they got to eat. Is there, is there facilities for that? Some of the airports now have relief areas for the dogs that are inside security. So you don't have to leave. However, with my last dog, I had a problem with that. He would not use those relief areas because they were indoors and he had been taught, you don't go indoors, you go outdoors. So I, I would always give him a, tr a chance and they were always the farthest away that they could be. It was kind of interesting. Um, but um, there are things that you can do before you travel. Like, for example, you... May, if you're going to have a long time on a on a plane, gee, there comes the train. <laughs> um, if you're going to have a long time, I will structure, like my dog won't get as much food that day and mu as much water. We always have food available, like if we're going to have a long layover where we might need to feed the dogs, you know, that we have a the foldable 
collapsible water bowl or you know for water and also the food bowls and food you know on the backpack right there I learned a hard lesson a few years ago don't put all of your dog's food in the suitcase when you're going home because we had just exactly what you described was our flight got delayed by hours and I didn't have any food to feed my dog and so that taught me a very very difficult lesson um, what about you, blind woman? What? Um, I'm sorry. What was the question? <laughs> <laughs> She's thinking about what we're gonna do. I'm, I'm wondering. Are you still there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's traveling is very individual with the trip that you're taking too. Oh, about relieving. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I just it's pretty much the same. I haven't taken what I'd call really long flights, but we, you know, we just curtail the water and I mean we got to obviously give them a little but in the food before we leave and and uh, did you have when you went on that long bus ride uh, didn't you go like to Vancouver yeah from Cleveland did you have a guide dog with you I did yeah I had Cassie. tell them about that one <laughs> yeah that was of course you know that's a little easier because you're you have layovers and and you know transfer to different buses and, and so forth but um yeah she traveled well it was uh like, I think it was about two and a half days. Yeah, was, that is one long bus ride. <laughs> of course, there was a time change, but and then we slept in a tent, so that was you know interesting too. But <laughs> the thing is, the dogs. Um, and I can speak specifically about the seeing eye. One of the things and why the puppy raisers' uh, job is so important is you want the dogs to become adaptable, and you want them to be willing to accept less than perfect conditions. Uh-oh, I heard a beep. Are you still with us? Oh. <laughs> I hope you can find it. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know, it's, it's, you want the dogs to be adaptable. You want them to be willing to deal with a less than perfect situation. Like, for example, when we flew to Cleveland, we, um, Astro, He's a big dog. Right now he's at 86 pounds, you know, eight, between 86 and 90 pounds. He's a big guy. We had to stuff this big dog into a very small space uh, on this particular flight, and he was willing to do it. He, he tried so hard. He actually managed to wiggle himself around to where he actually looked like he was comfortable, and he wasn't blocking anybody else's feet. Um, but the the work to to get that from your dog starts at a very very early age, uh, and uh, I've known folks to travel on Amtrak, and can you imagine you know that rocking side to side and you know back and front cruises? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Somebody asked me once when I went on my, on my first cruise with a, a, a particular dog, does your dog get seasick? I said, I don't know. <laughs> I guess I'll be finding out. <laughs> and then teaching them to go in the little boxes that the cruise ship provides. <laughs> That's always entertaining. They, is it, the little boxes, is that in your, is that in your cabin or is there, is there a place uh, on they the ship? Put it, they, yeah, they, they put it on the poop deck. Um, <laughs> they, they, on some of the cruises, I've been on about five cruises. One, we had a really big balcony. And they could put a 
box on that balcony. So that was really nice because it wasn't in the way of anything, and they would come and clean it out every every day. That was really nice. I would, you know, everything would be in bags. Um, <laughs> but um, other, they would put a relief box on like the fourth deck, and I would take my dog down to the fourth deck, and that was an area where mainly just the crew would go. There wasn't a lot of the guests there. Um, so yeah, it depends on the size of your cabin and if you have a balcony, um, and, uh, you know, or just down to most of it, most of the cruises I've taken, you just walk down to the like deck four. I think they've all been on deck four and that's the most popular question that you get asked on the cruise. Where does your dog go to the bathroom? Hanging over the side of the That's my husband. <laughs> you know, we had, my daughter and I had our answer. My husband says, well, you see that harness? We take them by the harness, hold them over the edge, and it scares the pee right out of them. <laughs> we had one lady actually believe us. We're like, ah, uh, no. it's a joke. Laugh now. It's a joke. <laughs> well, when you're, when you're traveling, I imagine a bus would probably be the most common way that people would travel because how often do you fly? But when you're traveling and you're dealing with the general public, what's the biggest problems that you have? I mean, what is their conception? You know, what do they think? Well, you know, what, what, what do you, what do you I combat think, all the time? You know, we, I try to tell people that we're a team because a lot of the credit gets put on the dog and, you know, I mean, they deserve a lot of credit. Don't get me wrong. Um, I, you know, who knows how many times our lives have been saved from their, you know, they're paying attention to traffic and things like that. But, um, like somebody referred to my dog as my helper, you know, and <laughs> Like, oh, I'd love to teach him how to read my mail and, you know. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But, That'd be nice. Yeah, but, I, you know, we work as a team. I mean, it's not like I'm just there with my dog and go, let's go to Vicky's house and, you know, the dog knows where it is. Um, we have to direct the dog. Now, they remember a lot of the places you've been, um, which is really interesting when you're in training because sometimes you'll find out places that your instructor went yes. to the liquor store and <laughs> yeah. have a pub or something. Um, but... Yeah, <laughs> they give away your secrets. Yeah, I, that's right. I was in the hospital once, and a friend looked after my dog, and my dog sh showed all the places to my friend that I had been. I was like, "Oh man, you don't have any secrets." But I think, as far as as just the general public, they want to pet the dogs, you know, oh, pet the dog, or they make kissing noises at the dogs, and they're just they're not thinking of the dog as a working dog. And so, you know, I I just I'll try, you know. I have not had to be real strong with most of the time. If I just say, please don't pet or distract my dog. He's working. And um, most folks, we've had a few, like, especially, you know, on the buses in Cleveland, a few folks that were already at the point that we're going to be in a little while. And oh, oh, all right, not that, not that severe, but at least I don't think so anyway, but they don't, they don't get it. And they're going to keep, you know, talking, trying to distract your dog and they're just not paying attention to anything you're saying. Um, that's just the joys of city travel. <laughs> so you just kind of have to go with the flow on that. And that's why I try to keep my dog as close to me as possible, you know, protected, you know, between my feet. Uh, some of the larger dogs, it's a little harder to do that when you have short legs. <laughs> Well, I've heard I've heard stories like you know I was talking to TJ. This is a common friend we have, and he told me when he first got his dog, 
somebody gra- on the bus grabbed his dog's collar and wouldn't let go. Oh, well, I've had people grab my dog's harness. And try to, you know, he tried to take off with him, and then the bus driver, you know, got involved. And, and of course, he's like, I, I don't, you know, he's he's a very non-competitive kind of guy. It's strange for a lawyer, but it's like, <laughs> you know, it's, you, you just, you got to be imagining this, you know, you'd be like, what the hell's going on here? You know, <laughs> what's... I just can't even imagine, you know, the the mind frame of somebody, you know, the, the the some the thinking of somebody that would do something like that. Well, oftentimes they're thinking in terms of them as a pet, and well, I would do this with my pet. I can't answer for why somebody would grab the dog's collar, and but I mean, I had somebody try to feed my dog a hamburger, you know, and it, to me, I think where I have a little issue is it's disrespectful to me for you to try to engage my dog without at least first talking to me and but but that being said i will also say that quite a few times my having my dog having my dog has broken the ice to some really nice conversations so it's not always negative um you know but but i would not you know like when we were we went to the vet the other day and um you know, there's people in there with their dogs and, you know, uh, oh, what's your dog's name? You know, all that's, but people, are, I've had people just totally want to write me out of the equation and they try to call my dog, make kissing noises, try to pet my dog. And, and I just say, look, you know, I wouldn't, you know, well, there's, there's a couple ways you can approach this, you know, and how would you feel if I grabbed you and, you know, in an inappropriate area instead of, you know, would you, how would you feel about that? You know, this this is my dog. It, you know, I would think you would first want to talk with me first. Um, and I just, I want to be respected. And instead of treated like I'm not even there. Yeah. Well, I recently saw on Facebook some crazy woman was upset because uh, they were, this was a dog uh, uh, trainer. Not, it was, wasn't anybody visually impaired. It was, a you know, somebody training the dog. And... What happened was, is that this person, this crazy woman wanted to, her child wanted to pet the dog and the, the trainer was like, they were at a mall. I guess they were doing the, you know, training in a, you know, in a, with public around whatever. Anyway, so the, the, the trainer was like, no, I'm sorry. This is a working dog. You know, you, you know, we, this is discouraged in all this we're, we're training and a woman freaked out and she said, I'm calling the cops and all this other stuff because she felt that her daughter should have the right to pet the dog. And it just, I was like, Whoa, what's going on here? You know, you know, <laughs> but see my dog now, he's nearly perfect, but he does have one little issue. Um, in hardest, you know, we, we, we tell people not to pet our dogs, obviously, but a lot of times I'll, I'll demonstrate, uh, by taking off the harness and allowing people to, you know, pet the dog then. Well, my dog, he looks for that attention when we're walking by. We call them drive-by sniffers because they try to get a sniff in or, or um, get a pet in or whatever as you're walking by. And, uh, yeah, he's, that's, that's, so it's really, really important that he understands, too, that when we're working, that, that's a no-no. Yeah, and, and sometimes when you correct your dog, you oh, know, yeah, and you don't know. hit the dog. The correction is a very specific technique that we've been taught. Oh, you shouldn't do that, no. you know. And you deal yeah, with people get mad when your dog gets, you know, close to them or tries to snip them. 
Yeah, you know, get your dog off me and all the stuff, you know. Yeah, you can't win for losing sometimes. <laughs> Who's uh, yeah. speaking of dogs? Who is that we we're just hearing? Astro was trying. I guess it, he, he's he's yeah. He just walked over here now. Now he's going to play with Blitz. Astro looks out the the side window of my room and he apparently saw a something that he thinks he would like to go out and play with. So that was him, you know, letting us know that. He was he was explaining that to us in dog language. <laughs> yeah, just for anybody listening, uh Astro is Vicky's dog and Blitz is Alice's dog. And uh Blitz, you've had I, Astro how I, long now, Vicky? And uh, Alice, you've had Blitz for how long? Half years. I got him June. Oh, that's not. No, it's not yeah, very but it's long. hard to believe it's been that long already. It's just yeah, it goes by so really fast. fast. And Blitz and Astro do look very similar. Well, and they they just play so well together. It's amazing. Well, here's a question. You know, I it just it just dawned on me. You know, it's um, but dogs are good for you know for this type of work because they need their senses to you know ten twenty twelve years that would be right great. about average. <laughs> yeah. You know, but here's the question. So, like, you know, yeah. Valor just retired. So when you, you had Valor for I how long? I trained with him in April of 2013, and I retired him this past March 18. Now, that's a short working life. He would still be working just fine, but the environment became too difficult for him. Living here in in Florida... Uh, near the Gulf Coast, we have a lot of storms in the summer, a lot of them. And when I got him, he didn't have any issue with thunderstorms at all. But as he got older, um, thunderstorms began to... And he was unique. He didn't tremble and shake like a lot of dogs do over thunderstorms. Alice put it beautifully when she was... Um, Alice and Martin helped Ricky and I move here. And she said, it's almost more like he's in some kind of a trance. And that was a perfect description of what he was like in the thunderstorms and I did not feel that it was fair for six months out of the year to subject him to daily and sometimes more than once a day thunderstorms to keep him working so I retired him and he's living with a wonderful they family are. that actually had adopted uh, Alice's retired guide yeah um, and can I is it am I allowed to put a uh, Kudos in for an airline, particular airline. Uh, sure, anything you want. Yeah. Um, well, when I found this home, and it was just a, a beautiful situation, um, they live near Philly. So we um, wanted to get my dog. We're trying to figure out how are we going to get Blitz and Enya, my previous dog, um, there. And Frontier Airlines allowed uh, Mar Martin to take Enya, and of course I had Blitz. And Blitz is a working dog, so of course there's no issues. They have to allow him, but they did not have to allow retired guide. I had to keep the the harness on her, but they actually allowed us to bring her in, and then she was rehomed and had a wonderful lived a little over a year, and then had to be put down. That was. But then that home, you know, now has my dog Valor, um, and it, that it's tough. I have a friend right now who's going through a difficult time as she's trying to, she's soon going to be working full-time, and she's trying to find a home for her retired guide. And what she, people in general just don't understand how much these dogs mean to us, how 
you know, they've been such a big part of our lives. They're really an extension of our left arm, you know, and for some people, their right arm, um, <laughs> you know, and when it is time to rehome and you feel it's the, in the best interest of the dog, it's so hard. It's so difficult. And she just told me today that she has decided because she just can't find a situation that she feels is right, that she is going to return the dog to the seeing eye and let them find a home. They have a very long waiting list of folks that are waiting for these dogs because, you know, these dogs are, well, as, as we have discussed before, seeing eye spends anywhere between 60 and 70 grand on a team. They have a lot to say about that. Yeah. <laughs> Watch your knees. And yeah, the tails are wagging, dogs are talking. Um, but yeah, this is a high value. And, and you know, I was so blessed that um, this family who had had Enya opened up their home to Valor because they are wonderful folks. And they do because they are also puppy raisers. Well, he's interpreting for the dog listening, you know. Um, You're talking about me. I, I don't be able to join in the conversation with the dog. <laughs> so, yeah, so it, it is a different relationship. Thank you. <laughs> it's right up against my knee. All right, you guys. <laughs> I'm trying to see which one is doing most of the talking. Let's see. It's it's Blitz. Blitz is doing most of the talking. Astro actually he usually talks a lot as well. He's a dirty dog because he he loves to go in uh, water. So he doesn't completely jump in the pool, but he'll hang up, you know, go on the steps and and, and uh, get his feet wet, and then he got in the dirt, and so I got to do some grooming. Well, she's got to groom well, the he dog. He had a good too. time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he had a great time. Sorry, I should not have said that. Poor Alex. <laughs> well, she did work out just now, you know. Well, when you when you first, um, I imagine that you know, after a couple of years, you you've trained and you and like Alice said, you're a team. You know, you have this mm -hmm. trust. You know, you have less. You know, when you when you get a new dog, and you're traveling, do you, are you more, you know paying more attention you're like you know you know what i mean it's you know you gotta you haven't built up the trust yeah, I don't know. yeah it that takes time to learn like for example when i came back to florida from new jersey um i didn't know how astro was going to travel i was so used to valor i mean he was a phenomenal traveler now of course the puppy raisers like i said they go to airports while they're you know with the puppies they they have been at times allowed to board a plane um you know with the puppies they do everything they can to prepare the the dogs for what's what's going to come but you just don't know how the, how um how this is you know how this dog is going to do because you're basically new to the dog all of a sudden their whole world is changing <laughs> it's not a good idea to have two dogs on the end of a rope and especially when they put you in the middle <laughs> but but he, um, Astro was phenomenal. He was, he traveled beautifully. Now I will tell you one area where he wasn't really very thrilled. Um, we have a really nice, um, boat charter, um, uh, company here. It's called Kingfish or Fleet. <laughs> and we've taken quite a few of their tours. The last tour that I took with a friend of mine, the ride out was 
rocking and rolling. Let me tell you, that boat was wild. That thing was bouncing up and down. Astro was not a fan. He was like, I'm not so sure about this. He dealt with it, and as soon as the boat was turned turned around to go back, it was much calmer. And he was like, okay, he recovered very, very quickly. But he was not real thrilled with that boat bouncing up and down like it was. We're going to be doing that trip this coming Friday. Yeah, but it's yeah, family. it's going to be you know, yeah, uh, you know, much. But, but it's yeah, you <laughs> talked about trust, and for me, I trust the seeing eye. This is a, I've, this is my sixth dog, and I've gotten all my dogs from the seeing eye. And I'm not saying there's not any other good schools out there, but that's just my school, and I trust them and their instructor, their their methods, and um, yes, there t it, there is an adjustment, um, and. It, Every dog is different, so you know, and all the experiences are will be different, and and so there, there, it takes time to bond, takes time to adjust, it takes you know, a year or so before you're seasoned, and um, yeah, you're seasoned just right. You know? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, it 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 is, and it's, it's a awesome. it's an adjustment, it such but an it's awesome worth thing it. to have that. Just, I, it's hard to even put into words to have that bond with an animal. You trust your life with, like I said, you know, we, we're part of the equation here too, where we have to know where we're going. Dogs don't watch traffic lights. We have to judge the traffic patterns and know when it's safe to cross, but they do watch for traffic. So, and they do what's called intelligent disobedience. So that if I give a command, uh, I say blitz forward and there's an open manhole or something, the dog's not going to go. The dog's going to re resist my command and refuse my command. So, and, so, and when we're in school, we practice that. Oh, yeah. And it can be a bit unnerving because <laughs> there's cars out there that are coming to try to run me over. <laughs> but when it, well, in the schools, do, do they is there like a an area set up where they like a simulated uh, traffic? No, they just do it out in the general intersection, or, in the, or they or they just take you yes. down to, so that local yep. town is like, oh, here's the school again. You know, they're they're training in yep, downtown. They, yeah, they yes, uh, you know, it's when I lived there, it was you know when I would be. Um, in a storage room. Oh, I live in Morristown. I see people with the dogs all the time, you know. Now, seeing I works a little bit harder doing their own traffic work. When I first started, I got my first dog in June of 78. They would use the community a lot more because, um, you know, they didn't want it to be a setup situation. But seeing I had to start taking a more aggressive approach to traffic because of quiet cars. Um, the quiet cars have really caused issue for blind and visually impaired travelers in general because they are so quiet that you don't even necessarily know there's a car right there. Um, now, you know, when there's no other sounds, you can hear it maybe, but when you've got traffic, you know, other sounds, even with decent hearing, you don't necessarily hear that, those quiet cars. So they did have to, in fact, they own a Prius uh, so as to, to really work on that type of training. And they, they, they almost make it fun for the dog to avoid cars, which is really a good thing. So if your do dog backs up suddenly, you better go with Go with them. <laughs> Follow your dog. Right. <laughs> oh, I never thought about the, the, the electric cars. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, they, so that they had taken a more aggressive approach to that training. Because, you know, unfortunately, folks with dog guides do get hit by cars. I've, I was hit by a car. 
Uh, you were too. <laughs> yeah, I was hit by a bus. <laughs> now we know Her why she is the way she is. Yeah. <laughs> she did. did yeah. She was meeting me at Arby's, and she, she, thank God the bus was turning. That's all yeah. you know because we would not be talking with her today. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah. How scary! How scary is that? When did when did you realize there was a bus? Yeah, I don't know exactly. I mean, I knew obviously something hit me, but um, yeah. Um, and interestingly, if, uh, somebody that I knew from when I was attending Cleveland State was on that bus. Bus driver, I think she was more upset about it than I was. She she tried to get me to get on her bus after she just hit me. But uh, I was, you know, it's I was more focused on getting to my destination and making sure my dog was okay. And of course, she was stressed out, but she recovered. I mean, my goodness, that dog and I have been through so much. And I will tell you this. We tell everybody, you know, that we're workers as a team. We have to direct our dogs. But that dog, when I would sit um, behind the driver, um, she could, she remembered a lot of my stops. And so, like, I would go from work to, to the health club, and it was a long bus ride. So I'd be pretty sleepy the time I got there. And she'd get up, wag her tail, and get all excited, you know, cry. And so it was funny. And she, I mean, many stops, my, you know, going home, my, uh, she's <laughs> all over the place. She remembered. Going she is, she was a traveler's dream. She was, <laughs> so, you know, it's like, every once in a while she'd be off her game and the bus driver would say, Renee didn't remember the bus stop. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's daydreaming. So she kind of bailed out the drivers when they would forget to tell me. <laughs> my brother, didn't my brother have a dog that would do that? Probably. Yeah, it seems like it. But I've heard of a few dogs that just picked up on the stops. And you know, this isn't where we're getting home. Do, do, do some breeds travel better than others? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't My dog doesn't eat as well. He's doing pretty well. My one, Some of the shepherds don't. They don't eat very well sometimes anyway. When you're traveling, it can be a little bit of an issue. But I think some people feel that the labs are more compact, maybe easier to protect. But... I don't know. You know I, I like my shepherd dogs. <laughs> now, now, recently, I, I, I've learned that there's other animals that are used as as guide animals, like miniature horses. Would you, would either one of you ever consider getting a miniature horse? No. no um, I, the, one of the main reasons that that's considered is because they live a very long time. And I, and I do understand that. But as we get older, our needs change. And I don't know that a horse you know, that was matched up with you when you were 20 um, would be right when you're 50 huh? or even 35, you know. So um, I like, you know, I understood. I've talked with several folks who have miniature horses. Now, I could have had one where I lived in New Jersey because I did have a barn, but it's not, most folks don't have a barn and that's something you would need with a miniature horse. Um you know, the two folks that I spoke with loved it, and I figure, okay, if you're right for that and you have the time to put in the training, because um, there's not a that uh, as as far as I know, there is not a place that you can apply to to go have a miniature horse trained for you. The woman that we spoke to at great length had help from a professional horse trainer, and uh, she loves it, um, but. And she feels that she has a lot less distraction issues that dogs may have. Um, but, you know, for a very specific type of person, it might be phenomenal. I would but, think, th I would think when you're traveling though, the, um, 
you know, the, the, you, the, you'd have to educate the, the general public on dogs, but at least there's some understanding. But with a horse, I think it would even be twice as much. And then if you were to travel by plane, would, would the same rules apply for a, for a miniature horse? Yes, it, it, you know, I don't think that, you know, that's a good question. I think at one point they did consider a miniature horse in the ADA, but I, Americans with Disabilities Act, but I don't know that that's the case anymore. I think I'm going to look into that because um, there are so few of trained miniature horse full-fledged guides out there. I only know of two people. That doesn't mean I know everybody in the world, but I'm just saying that, <laughs> that um, the two people that have been very edu informative about their journey. That um, one, one issue, uh, we, we talk about transportation, that uh, a lot of guide dog handlers have had issues with, or probably service handlers, uh, dog handlers, service animal handlers, handlers in general, is um, Uber and Lyft, the ride sharing, and I have not taken them. I'm spoiled. I get rides by my husband, generally. Um, but people have had issues where people don't, you know, they should know that if they're going to contract to drive people around like that, that, that they should know the laws, but um, unfortunately some of them, there have been problems. Well, I've heard a lot of people, you know, have issues with that, and I'm really surprised because it, it doesn't seem to me like if, if the guy was worried about his seats or whatever with dog, or, you know, it wouldn't be that hard to have some blanket or something he can throw down on the floor or something like that. It doesn't seem like that'd be much of a problem. Yeah, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be a problem, but, I mean, I have a friend who's, at the time, fiancé, um, she had ordered, called an Uber, and the driver came, and he went to open the door to to let her in the car. And when he saw there was a dog, he pulled away and he got dragged. This was in Boston. Oh, my um, God. It was it was really bad. Um, and there and I don't I don't want to say, it, you know, that some of the issues have been with drivers that don't have a real strong command of the English language. And I know that the training that the drivers go through inc include service dog training and acceptance of service dogs. Um, I have had very little trouble. I've taken Lyft. I had one driver refuse me at the airport in Newark, New Jersey. And it seemed like I had one other driver. But most, most of my experiences have been very, very positive. Um, but I, many folks, the drivers try to refuse them and quite several folks would be in the car, sitting in the car and the driver doesn't want to take them. And it's, it's bad. There's been a lawsuit that's been brought by the, um, National Federation for the Blind and supported by the American Council of the Blind, um, to bring Uber up and Lyft, I think, I don't know that Lyft was involved in that. That would be an interesting question to find out. But certainly against Uber, where the the drivers that refuse to take someone with a service dog will be released, will be uh, fired from, you know, no longer allowed to uh, drive for Uber. And I think some of the concern is that um, Uber isn't sticking to what they agreed to. 
but I do think that they have become more uh, uh, diligent about drivers who are refusing to take someone with a dog guide. But it's, you know, you, you get an Uber because you got to get to the airport for a flight, and all of a sudden the driver's, oh, I'm, I don't want a dog in my car. You know, and it's a, a real hassle. And so um, cabs, there were some problems with cabs in this as well. Um, and it can it can really hose you up if you kind of make a flight. So, you know, and, and people are continuously working to educate. And you try, you know, you figure if you can do it one driver at a time, and that's that's the real key is education. Just trying to you know enlighten and educate people as to how we handle our dogs. We don't uh, necessarily law our dogs on people's seats if we can help it, and you know we, we take good care of them. And you know most people, oh, you know, we've been places where restaurants and then and they don't even realize a dog is there. Yeah. <laughs> You get out, the dog get out, gets out from under the table. I didn't know there was a dog in here. Well, good. I, and you and you've both been working with dogs how long? Well, I got my first dog in June of 1978. In mine, uh, May of 85. So she was ahead of me. Because I'm an old waited, bag. She is. How come you waited so long, Alice? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, well, you know, okay. It's interesting because a lot of people think you should get a dog. You should get a dog. You know, dogs aren't for everybody. I mean, I was an avid cane traveler. I did very well. Um, hate them now, but, you know, <laughs> they're necessary evil sometimes, you know, <laughs> between dogs or whatever. But um, I think I used one to prop up a window for a while. But uh, <laughs> And they're good for finding things under beds and stuff like, you know. Dog uh, toys. hard to find places. Yeah, dog toys. Definitely. Um, but, but there are people that are very good at it. Um, and, uh, you know, it's not for everybody. And you do really should put in the research to make sure that it is right for you. Because it is a lot of work. It's, it's a, it's a heavy duty commitment. Yeah. But when I saw how fast Vicky walked with her dog, you know, I finally got around to getting the paperwork in and everything and going and getting my dog. It, it was, I mean, that's one of the best decisions I've ever made. <laughs> and how, how, how old are you, Vicky, when you first got your first dog? 18. I was, I was just out of high school and um, I traveled to, you know, I had been, you know, it wasn't my first time being away from home. So I'd been away from home many times. So, it, you know, it was exciting to me to go to this place uh, for a month. I was going to be there for, for a month. Um, and wow, it was really something because they try to match you, you know, and I know we've already talked about, you know, matching process and that type of thing. But they spend a lot of time, you know, really, you spend the first, well, now it's, you go in on a Monday, you get your dog Wednesday morning. So they spend the first day and a half, really, just solidifying the match that they've made on paper for you, and, you know, before they ever brought you to class. But, but it's, you know, it's a commitment. It's hard work. It's sometimes very frustrating. And at times, the match may not work out. I've had... You know, especially in my beginning years, I had some dogs that didn't work out. And that's hard. It's, it's a difficult thing. But sometimes, you know, it's a difficult uh, choice has to be made in the best interest of, you know, me and the dog and all involved. And we get through it with the support of the school. And as you like to say, we will endeavor to persevere. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, my God. Somebody listen to me say anything. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, you know, here's the other thing. Well, 
what's the earliest age you can get a dog? Um, sixteen. Yeah, the seeing eye. Sixteen. For the seeing eye, it's sixteen. You want to be able to have the responsibility to look after a dog, and the seeing eye charges a fee of one hundred and fifty dollars for the very first dog. And they really want you as the handler to be the one to pay that. They don't, and I'm not criticizing any organizations that do this, but they don't really want you to go to like a Lions Club or Kiwanis or Rotary and ask for that money. They would really like that money to come from you. And because it is a commitment, it's a, it's a, it's a very minuscule yeah, financial equip, uh, commitment, you know, compared to what they what what like I said, sixty to seventy grand a team, um, but it's the idea that no one is getting this dog for you, no one has forced you to get a dog. You've done your homework, you've done your research, and you've made the decision that you feel that a dog will be will help you to become more productive and efficient in today's society. Well, you know, I'm and, and let's you know let's let's point out here that you know. You're paying 150 dollars for the sense of ownership for an, for a, something that costs 60 to 70 thousand. Well, let's talk about that 60 to 70 thousand. That's when you when you put that number up. Or you're you're talking about the raising of the dog, the breeding, the training. I mean, the the, the maintenance. You know, everything that goes involved. Follow up. It's, your uh, your care. You know, your food and boarding while you're there in class. You know, follow up for the life of the dog. You know, and that, that $150 fee has been existent, in existence for, gosh, I mean, years and years and years. I mean, when I don't know exactly when, when they first started. But uh, then if you've had, uh, for subsequent dogs, it's $50. And so, you, you can take it however long you need to pay that. You know, that makes sense to me because it seems like it gives you a sense of ownership. It gives you a sense that, you know, you have a commitment. You know, it, 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 it takes you over the... You know, it, it makes it more serious. Well, and seeing how you do, a lot. you do own your dog, and that's a big issue for Vicky. Oh yes, me, it, it really not is. all the schools allow that. So yeah, not all the schools give ownership upon graduation, and I that's find a that big am- point for me, stickler for me. I find that amazing. Yeah, I know we've talked about this before. Well, like Vicky says, you know, you can screen me all you want before I come, and then but when I'm once I'm there, you know, I you need to trust me. Yeah, you trust me, you know, you've accepted me, so trust me like I'm going to trust you to find the right match, you know. But some of the schools, well, what if the match doesn't work out? Well, it's no different for the seeing eye. You know, they'll help you. If if they can help you rectify an issue, they're, they're there to do it. If, unfortunately, it looks like it's going to be in a retirement and a change, they're there for that as well. So it, there's no difference just because, you know, upon graduation, the dog is mine. It just means that, you know, I'm, I'm in charge of what happens when my dog retires. And, um, and and I think that's the way it should be. I don't expect someone else to take any responsibility for my dog. No, that makes sense to me because, you know, you, you're, you're going to, you know, you're putting a big commitment and trust into your animal. And the, this is a partnership. And the, the flippant uh, uh, or the, the, the feeling that, you know, somebody else could say, hey, this is over for no reason is just amazing to me. Yeah, it really you know? is. It happens. It, it really is. And it does happen. And I'm just not willing to take that chance. <laughs> no, it's, yeah, it's not a problem until it is a problem. And yeah, then it's exactly. a serious problem. Yep. It's, there's no gray 
in that one either. It's not ever an issue or it's a horrible issue. And well, I know, I know also you're, you're huge, you know, you're a big advocate of the school and you're involved. And I don't know, Alice, if you're as involved as Vicky is, but like there was one time I was in Nebraska in the middle of nowhere, or sorry, South Dakota in the middle of, no, no, I'm sorry, Montana. Montana, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was in Montana in the middle of nowhere, and I, I saw a, a blind woman, and she had a guide dog, and I, I walked over, and I said, excuse me, but, you know, where did you get your dog? And she goes, oh, the seeing eye. And I said, oh, would, do you happen to know a woman by the name of Vicki Curley? And she goes, oh, my God, I know Vicki. <laughs> I was so nervous my first day there, and she brought me cookies. And, <laughs> you know, and, and, it was like, and then, you know, as soon as I said, you know, as soon as I, I said your name, and she, because she was like, kind of like, oh, what the hell is this all about? But then as soon as I said your name, she opened right up, and, you know, she, it, was, it was pretty funny. That's really funny because we'll tell sighted people, see, They'll say, do you know such, but before they say it, we'll say, well, we don't know everybody. Yeah. It's blind. <laughs> and then they'll say, do you know such and Oh, yeah. I know yeah. <laughs> well, I, I know I know for a fact that you guys all know each other because I just, I proved it in, yeah. in Montana. <laughs> in the middle of nowhere. I mean, literally, That's the small. middle of nowhere. Yeah, it was a truck stop, wasn't it? Because that was, I remember when he shared that story. I laughed so hard. It was funny. <laughs> yeah, it was, well, what it was is it's the, uh, uh, Montana Weed Farm. They they grow weed there, and then they opened up their own little sandwich stop, and they have truck parking there. So it's not technically a truck stop, but they have these great sandwiches I like. And I just happened to stop in and buy some um, some cereal and uh, a sandwich for for the day. And and I just have it. I could and I just sat there and I was debating with myself whether to say anything because I didn't want to look silly. But then I thought, no, why not? You know, yeah. this could be interesting. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't record it or anything. I just thought it might be, you know, it might just be a trip. And it ended up being, you know, kind of funny, you know, because it was such such a bizarre situation. Because, you know, we're literally in the middle of nowhere. There's nothing around this place. Yeah, she told me about it, too, when I saw it. She goes, I've got somebody you know. (laughs) It was great. Well, just about every class you've been to has met somebody that you knew in a previous class right <laughs> oh yeah yeah or a brother or, yeah that's happened a few times it's always well, cool well you know that being said you know when you when you go to the school and then you meet all these people and of course you know today you know we have you know chat groups and email groups and things like that do you find that these you know the schools in itself create a bonding yeah i think so mm-hmm. yeah yeah, I, I, you know, like, for example, next week we're going to be attending a conference called Top Dog. And people are going to be coming from all over for this. It's basically from Thursday to Sunday of next weekend. Um, not the one coming up. I have to remember what the date is. Um, <laughs> but, you know, and we'll be in Charleston, South Carolina with, last count I heard, was 150 people. Uh, 96 of which are dog guide teams. So in a hotel in Charleston, South Carolina, there will be 96 dog guide teams. That's a lot of dogs to have in one hotel. (laughs) Well, because, you know, what I've noticed is, is you know, this is such a small community, but it's a very tight community. And, you know, like one person will find a, a tip or a hack or a trick to do things, and it gets shared pretty quickly. Oh yes, <laughs> yeah, and that's what this conference is about. It's specific. There are larger uh, conventions in the summer that deal with all kinds of areas uh, in blind and visually impaired 
um, technology and you know, you know work or field. You know, and, but this is specific to dog guide handlers and the issues that we deal with as handlers. Um, so it, it, it's really nice, and um, I think we're going to have an, not not only are we going to learn a lot, but we're going to have a heck of a lot of fun. Yeah, I think it's that interaction with people that are doing the same thing you're doing. Always, you always walk away knowing more than when you walked in. I think Absolutely. that's important. Absolutely. Because somebody will have a trick or a tip or, or don't fly on this airline or don't fly on that airline or, you know, stuff like that. Those things get shared. You know, it's it's quite amazing, actually. But it, it, I think that stuff's important. I find the guide dogs, I find them to be, you know, that to me they seem very heroic. You know, they, they seem very, you know, especially, you know, you put the harness on them and they're sitting there and they're working and they, they know they're working. Yeah. And I'll, I have to think of uh, another intelligent disobedience. Um, if we're, you know, seeing eye because they're close to New York City, we like to go in uh, to the city with our dogs and walk around. It's, I love it. It's fun. It's fun. And, uh, I mean, it's just great work for the dogs. And they've, had, they've been there in training and even as puppies. Um, don't they all pretty much go to New yes. York City? That's what yep. I think. Um, so anyway, um, I'm sorry, I don't remember. Where was I going with that? Oh, what they're trained is to not approach the the edge of the platform, you know, until the train's there. But um, they if you tell your dog forward, they will not go. Astro actually spun me around. <laughs> now, of course, you know, I didn't do that um, by accident. You know, the instructors just have you do it. Tell them forward, you know. Yeah. And he not only stopped, he turned me around to face the opposite way. Well, it's, yeah, if you can make it around New York, I guess you can make it just about anywhere. Oh, New York is amazing, though. You know, New York, um, logistically, is not all that hard to get around. It's a grid, you know, so it's not as difficult. It's just crazy people, you know. But we have that in Cleveland. We have that in, you know. Not that it's extreme, but we have it. <laughs> well, what would you say uh, overall, considering everything with travel and guide dogs, what what would be the hardest part about traveling with a guide dog? Um, oh, that's a good question. What do you think? Uh, I think, you know, public thing. interference is a, is a problem. You know, people trying to distract your dog. I have had people grab my dog's harness. I, I got grabbed, you know. So, uh, you know, public interference is, is definitely a problem. Um, uh, I, I would, for me, I think that would be the biggest, biggest issue. Yeah, I, I would have to agree that, that and like Vicky said, people see a dog and they think of it as a pet, and you know, these are not pets. And I mean, I have had. People and you know, I'm just going to go ahead and say the name. It's Peta. Um, feel I was cruel and abusive to have forced this dog to work for me. Um, I, I, actually, when I was in training with with um, in 2004, this woman approached. You know, this is how do you know this dog wants to work for you? I'm like, well, the fact that he's running to the harness, wiggling into it, and wagging his tail. I think that might be a sign, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that he's really enjoying his work. Um, you know, so sometimes misguided people, you know. Um, in years, oh my god! Oh my god! Are you serious? Peter's really against guide dogs. I thought yes, you were messing with yes. me. Yes, well, I think it depends. Like, you know, my running partner when I run a 10k, well, that 
dare, dare say back into 1993, she was involved with PETA. And I mean, well, it's probably not maybe every... she never said any. She just kept her mouth shut, but she never gave me any. There were in years past. Uh, let's let's put it this way: the more radical PETA members yeah. would go into properties of dog guide schools and release dogs out of the kennel. Oh, wow. Just let them go. I heard that when I was That's in class crazy. in 1978. Well, when um, uh, let's go to this running 10k, which I, I must say I can't do <laughs> anymore. But did you do this with the dog? No. No. So would you Would you do slap the cane back and forth really fast? <laughs> as you're running through no, I the... had a running partner, and uh, I did we too. ran with. Yeah, we, I just we ran together, and it was we we didn't train outdoors. That was a mistake. We trained on the track at the health club, and it was it's a lot different outside. <laughs> now that being said, there is a guide dog school that has a running guides program. Oh wow! Um, and um, I have mixed feelings about it, but. In all sincerity, I don't fully understand it. So, um, this particular school has a program that, if you want to, they have to. Of course, it has to be a certain type of dog, and you go through a certain type of training, you know, with the dog. Um, I'm not sure how I feel about it, and you know, at this point, it doesn't it matter. It puts a lot on the dog. If it does. It does. So, it has to be a very specific type of dog. Um, but yeah, so there is a school that does have a running guides program. Hmm. Now there is also a school that works with veterans, another school that not only has their guide dog program, but they have a wonderful program for veterans that have other disabilities, maybe besides blindness. So there are some of the schools that have like secondary, um, skills, you know, that they work with. Um, for seeing eye really likes to stick to what they feel that they are there for, focus on um, the guide work. They will work with people with limited hearing. <laughs> if Ricky were here, he'd be saying, what? <laughs> 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 um, you know, and people with some ambulatory issues. Uh, but they want to stick specifically to guide work training. And I appreciate them for that. Yep. Well, here, here's a question where it just crossed my mind, but let's say you were out and about and you had some kind of issue where you had to go to the hospital and they called an ambulance for you. Would, would your dog, would, I mean, if would the dog go with you in the ambulance or would they? I, I had that happen. Um, well, I was, I actually had ended up cutting. I, I, I had four dogs in my home. I was babysitting a couple dogs and I had a couple of my own. And everybody was out of town. My then fiance was out of town, family members, nobody, everybody was out of town. And I, as I was walking back in with um, a dog, my foot rolled on a piece of dog food. And it, it basically propelled me forward and I put my left hand right through the glass window um, in, in the back door. And I had no idea I, I had a little cut on my shoulder, and all I could think of was I had tons of glass in my kitchen and four dogs, and I was trying to figure out what am I going to do to get all this glass up, and the only thing I could think of to do was to call the police number, you know, not the 911, 
but the regular number and see if there would be any way if a police officer could come over and help me, you know, get this mess cleaned up because I was afraid my dogs were going to cut their feet. And she asked me if I was cut. And I said, well, I have a little cut on my shoulder. Well, what I didn't realize was I had a really large cut on my wrist. <laughs> um, I didn't feel it. Uh, so she said, you know, I'm going to send paramedics. And I was embarrassed. I was so embarrassed. And then they come here and I'm like royally bleeding. <laughs> I didn't realize it. Um, and so I guess it was a very, very good thing. So I did bring my guide dog in the ambulance with me. I didn't have to be, I was sitting in a, a seat. I didn't have to be on the stretcher, which I, I was very grateful for that. Um, but he was on the, you know, just laying in, on the floor at my feet. And then when I was in the hospital, um, he was just next to the bed um, and very well accepted. In fact, he was a pretty good-sized male shepherd, all black, uh, mostly black. And they brought some guy that had been arrested for bank robbery in and put him in there right next to us. I figured, well, maybe they did that because they thought just the presence of that rather large shepherd <laughs> might keep him behaving himself. <laughs> But yeah, it's it, hospitals are a whole nother, you know, of course, that's not travel per se, but it was a good question because I do know of other situations where folks did have to be brought in on stretcher and in which case the dogs weren't in the ambulance because the person was needing, you know, direct care. And so the police officer would take control of the dog until somebody could come and bring the dog, you know, home or whatever. So, good question. That, yeah, you know, a, few, a, a few weeks ago, it's interesting that you asked this. A few weeks ago, my husband and I were working uh, at the gym downtown, in downtown Cleveland, and he became dehydrated. His blood pressure went down very low, and uh, they called an ambulance. And, yeah, I rode with him with my dog right in the, in the ambulance. I would imagine, yeah, the, the last thing you would want is your dog to go to, you know, some kind of animal shelter. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, and, and I think sometimes our first responders don't aren't quite prepared for that. But like I said, my experience has been positive that, you know, um, I've never had a problem if somebody just says, geez, I don't know how best to handle this. You know, what, what do you suggest? You know, um, because I, who would know better what to do with our dogs than us? Yep. Well, that makes sense. Well, that being said, I'm going to go ahead and uh, end this right here because we got about an hour and I'll break this up into two different parts. <laughs> you, knew we, you knew you would have no trouble getting us to run our traps on this. <laughs> Oh, no, that's why I brought Allison to keep you under control, Vicki. Well, yeah. I, I don't think I did a good job. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that's all right. Um, I don't get mad. I get even. <laughs> I got to watch it. I'm still staying here. She's going <laughs> to put her out on the line. Yeah, make me sleep well, on. Well, if it was just Vicki, we'd still be in the, hi, my name is Vicki, and I live in Florida, uh, <laughs> part of the recording, and an yeah, hour later. That's right. That's right. That's me. <laughs> but, uh, you, know, um, I, you know, here's the thing. I find... You know, as a sighted person, I, you know, and, and transportation and shipping is what I do, you know, because I travel all over the place. And I find that, you know, areas of transportation are unique. And this is one of those areas of transportation I find unique because, 
you, you run across this not very often, but you do see it. And then you wonder, you know, this is a hidden world and of travel and, you know, there's complexities to it. And a, a lot of us sighted people don't understand what it is. Yeah. And I appreciate your wanting to learn more and, and, uh, and, and I also want to thank you for what you do. You know, I, 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 I sometimes think about the food that we get and, you know, from the time it was a seed to the time, you know, it's, it's becomes a crop and it's harvested and, you know, and then it's distributed and, you know, all the stuff that goes into that that we just take for granted when we go to the supermarket. And, you know, of course, you you play a big part in, I don't know what all you transport, but... Um, you you probably have things in your house that I've had in my yeah drink. yeah uh, I, you know that's, <laughs> seriously yeah yeah probably that's, right it's pretty cool probably for right. seven in fact uh, for seven years I was dedicated to Kimberly Clark so wow. I did uh, toilet paper and all the stuff they make so I can guarantee you, you used it you, I got three bathrooms yeah <laughs> yeah you probably used some of that stuff and yeah, you know absolutely. the 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 thing is with us is you know in the driving world it's like um it's like I tell new drivers. You know, what you do is important, but nobody will ever know who you are. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's true. And, well, we do. And, uh-huh. it, and, it doesn't, and it doesn't matter. You know, as long as you, you know, nobody will ever thank you. The only time you're, you're they'll think you're important is when you're late. Yeah. Or, yeah. Or, or you did something wrong. So you just have to know that, you know, maybe you won't do the surgery, but you'll bring all the stuff they need to do it. Right. Yeah. You know, that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. You, yeah. As long as you go with that mindset, it makes it easier. Sure. Uh, we think you're important, and what you do is important. So, you know who doesn't think I'm important? This cat who's staring at me right now. <laughs> oh, is she staring? Yeah, is staff. she staring with one eye closed? No. And uh, in fact, it, well, he well, we got him from the shelter, the okay. animal shelter, and his name is Dude. Dude. <laughs> That's all. Yeah. <laughs> well, it started off as Sterling. But you know, when he was a kid, he'd jump up on the table and he'd knock things over and. And you were constantly saying, dude, dude. dude. <laughs> and so his name changed from Sterling to dude at an early age, which worked out fine until we watched The Big Lebowski, and I think that kind of messed up his head. <laughs> yeah, you're not, you're not recording anymore, are you? Oh, no, I'm still recording. Oh, okay. I won't say that story then. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, no. It's a story though. <laughs> is it saucy? Let's hear it. Uh, all right. Vicky um, and I, back in the day when we lived in Cleveland, uh, well, when I moved on her street, but this is actually before then, but um, we, we'd say we were two blinks on the block. I mean, we we just got, we did not let the grass grow under our feet. We we just went all over the place. Well, mostly to places to eat, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'd go out for breakfast and sometimes we'd hit lunch too. Anyway, in fact, her husband used to joke and say that he should have married me so he could spend more time with her. <laughs> but anyways, so anyway... Now, where was I going with this? Um, is it when you run across? Oh, so I had, I used to go and to grocery stores and buy way, way too much stuff. I mean, it was ridiculous because I hated going shopping, so I wanted to get it all done. So I went to, it's called the food co-op, and they had, you know, like organic and, you know, healthy food, health food stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so um, somebody dropped me off what we call the rapid, it's a train, basically, above ground. And... Um, and so they dropped dropped me off there, which is cool. So I'm waiting for the train. It comes, and I knew that there was a. Um, I couldn't work my dog, which was really just dumb. So I had to heal her. I had three bags of groceries. So okay, I knew that there was a, a gap between the edge of the platform and the train. Oftentimes, <laughs> but you know, you just never know where that next step's going to take you. Well, I found out my 
my leg, my foot slipped down between the, and I fell, of course. And so I'm trying to get up and somebody may have helped me and get on the plane. A conductor wouldn't take my chair. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and, and so, well, it was nice, but so I sit down and I start feeling a little bit hungry. So I reach down in the, one of the bags to get something and I realize that I, I had ripped my pants from the front to back pretty much. Like, oh my gosh. This, this is before cell phones. So I'm like, okay, well, I can't stay on this train for what am I going to do? So I, I finally got off. And then at one point, my my uh, one of my bags broke in the middle of the street. And uh, I ended up getting a ride home, which I was almost there anyway. But oh my gosh, it was so embarrassing. you know. But it's funny now. We laugh about it now. Yeah, but, but at the time. But what we do later on, we went out somewhere you know yeah that's i think we did you know i you know i was just thinking of something you guys just made me think of something when um you know you're used to the dogs now and you're and you're both you know you know very experienced with with dogs and it's it's a major part of your life but do you go out and practice the cane skills once in a while? You should. Yeah, yeah. I, I did. I haven't done. <laughs> I didn't take my cane to the workout facility. A lot of times it happens naturally. Like if your dog is in for grooming or like when Aunt Valor had had cancer and he had to have surgery and I really couldn't work him for a month. So I had to use my cane. And it is. It's a, it's a very good idea to keep your cane skills up because you never know when. You know, um, maybe you're going to a venue that maybe it, it's just not a good idea to bring the dog if it's going to be a loud concert or real tight spaces or like some of the movie theaters used to have like sticky pop and stuff all over the, oh, for other folks, it's soda, um, <laughs> you know, all over the floors and stuff like that. So it's, it's a really good idea to keep your cane skills going. Um, do you, do you find that you don't um, you know do you move faster with a dog? Oh yeah. You more you know are you more confident yes. with where you're going with a dog? Definitely. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Because um, you know, just for anybody listening, you know, we belong to an, uh, uh, a chat group, and there's what I don't know, twenty, thirty people in the group, and it seems to me like the people with dogs are you know, and I could be wrong here, but it just seems like the people with dogs are more active. Yeah, I think I think about you know I think Marco you know he's quite ap active and um, but you're right I think um, you know just just going through the group in my head quickly um, yeah I think the dogs you know a lot of folks uh, have come into class in some of my classes that were in their 80s uh, getting a dog um, and you know maybe they started in their 20s or whatever and they they'll tell you we think you know, the dogs kept us healthier longer, you know, um, and yeah, it, it, I do. I think, and, and it's really best for the dog. Now, when you are working with the school with regard to your application, they ask you questions. How much do you travel? What do you, what mode of transportation do you take? Um, you know, uh, so, so that is all taken into consideration when they're looking for the right match. Um, so, you know, that's, that's part of the, the whole matching process. Um, cause not every dog is, you know, certainly they the seeing eye is not going to put out a dog that is bad in certain areas, but some dogs are just better, you know, more adaptable, better at the city travel because, you know, traveling in the city is crazy. 
um, than others. Some dogs are more small town dogs. I needed a dog that would do it all because I live in a smaller area, but I also go to cities. So, uh, you know, since I've had him, we've been, well, we didn't go downtown Cleveland, but uh, we went to St. Louis and uh, Orlando and, you know, so we've already been to several cities um, just in the short time that he and I have been a team. So, I, you know, I really need a dog that can, can do it all and do it all and enjoy it. And that's Astro. Yeah.